Good morning. I'm Nathan Corbett, and it is my um, honor to read the scripture with you this morning. It is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of life, excuse me, the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we've made it to December. Uh, Thomas mentioned this last week that... Uh, this is, I mean, this year, unlike any other, people are ready to celebrate Christmas. Decorations are up. Christmas albums are being played. Christmas movies are being watched. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, first of all, uh, it's kind of just like, okay, we're here. We're ready to kind of put this year to bed and get started with a, a new year. Second reason, I think, is we just kind of need something to celebrate, right? I think that people just want to celebrate something. We, we want something to be joyful about, to be merry about. But the third thing, the third reason I think people are so eager for Christmas this year is that we just want something normal, right? We, we just want something that we're familiar with. It's like, okay, let's sing a Christmas song that we know. Let's watch a Christmas movie that we've watched before. Let's see the Christmas tree. Let's get some normal things going on in our lives. You know, one of the things that Blake and I have been talking about um, with 2020 is this kind of social phenomenon. You know, a PhD dissertation should be written uh, by some sociologist called Social Reset on all just kind of the resets that happened uh, this year. Uh, it's just a fascinating thing to kind of think about and study. I mean, more than ever, it seems, you know, people have moved to new houses or changed jobs. Um, people's rhythms are out of whack. So they're changing their rhythms. They've taken up hobbies or they've stopped hobbies. They've changed churches. People have changed political affiliations. People have joined movements or have disassociated with certain movements. And even with faith, some people have more so identified with faith. Some people's faith has grown kind of cold. It's a social reset um, in a big way for some people or in a small way. But I think a lot of people are asking kind of the question, you know, who, who am I? What do I really want my life to mean and to be for? What do I really want to identify with? There's a scene in Forrest Gump where Jenny asks Forrest, she says, Forrest, do you ever dream about who you're going to be? Who are you going to be? And Forrest says, aren't I going to be me? And Jenny says, well, yeah, you'll be you, but a different kind of you. 
And I kind of think that's happening among a lot of people. A different kind of you. Who are you going to be? And entering this is kind of exciting, but it can also be very disorienting. And it can be, it can create a lot of fear. It can create a lot of cynicism. Uh, it can actually lead to some anxiety and, and trepidation. You know, is, is this good? Is this right? Can I keep this up? And on top of all these things, obviously, this has just been a great year of pain and of heartache. People have gone through a lot. Uh, and so I'm really glad we're looking at this passage today. I, you know, had a tricky week. It just was a week where I kind of entered into some tough burdens with friends of mine, with some church members. And um, I just, I didn't sleep well. I just kind of had some anxiety. And um, I'm really glad for me that I'm looking at this passage today. This passage for me has been, it's kind of like a map back home. When I get disoriented or when I feel lost, I can look at this passage and I can be reminded of who I am. I, I can be reminded of what my hope is and I can be reminded of, of what I need to be doing. And so I think for all of us, that's true. So I, I kind of want to look at those three things with you today, who we are, what our hope is in, and and what do we need to be doing? Now, the book of Revelation, it's, it's interesting to think about. It's, it's, a, it's a hard book to understand. Um, it was written by John at the end of his life, the Apostle John. And he had lived basically through the bulk of what we know as the first century. And, and that, was, that was a very disorienting century. It was a crazy time. I mean, the Romans were kind of taking over the Western world. Uh, Jewish people were losing their grip on life and rhythm around them. It was very disorienting at that time. People didn't know what to do. There were Jewish zealots that thought we should fight the Romans, we should put them down. But there had been before this, this huge revolt where actually the temple had been torn down and Jewish people were being scattered all over the world. John had seen all of this. Kind of in the middle of this first century, um, Christianity was born. And John had a front row seat to all of that. I mean, John saw every big thing that Jesus did. He saw him raise dead people. He saw him make people that couldn't walk, walk. He saw him heal the blind. He saw him feed 5,000. He saw Jesus walk on water. I mean, John had seen everything. He had a front row seat to all of this. And John alone, this is interesting too, John alone, all the other disciples weren't there at the crucifixion, but John was. John saw Jesus hanging on the cross, but then he saw the resurrected Jesus. He had seen Jewish persecution. He had seen Roman persecution. And John had literally seen all of the other disciples die for their faith. And he had faced persecution himself. And here he is at the end of his life. I mean, here he is at the very end. And he's being persecuted. He's, he's been exiled by the Romans. They were trying to put his influence down. And they put him on this little island called Patmos. And there on this island, God began to give him this vision. And again, a lot of this vision is, is hard to understand, but, but throughout this vision, you know what you see? You know, you may not understand the book of Revelation, but you know what you see throughout the book is that the answer is Jesus, that strength is in Jesus, that hope is in Jesus. And, and actually the book ends with this tremendous hope if you're finding your life in Jesus. And I think this passage here, let's look at verse one again. I saw a new heavens and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is an incredibly comforting passage to me because it really begins to answer the question of who am I? Who am I really? You know, how do you understand your identity? And we talk about this a lot. You know, are you just who you are at the office? One of the reasons 2020 has been disorienting is that people haven't been going into the office, right? That little boost that you get, if you especially have a big position in your office place, that little boost you get when you see everybody kind of, you know, starting to work as you walk by them. Or, you know, when you get the boss that says to you, you're doing a great job. It's hard to feel that over Zoom. It's hard to feel that in a virtual world. You know, are you just who you are at school? Again, you know, and I, I feel for young people throughout this year that have missed these important things like prom and like, you know, the just going to class and experiencing things in the norm. But is that your identity if you're a student, just who you are at school? You know, again, as we become more digital, people find more and more identity in social media, social media platforms. Again, you kind of get that little boost if somebody likes your post. I must be cool. I must be important. They think I'm good looking. Are you finding your identity there? You know, people find their identity as Americans or as a part of something that's stable. And I've talked to a lot of people that feel, man, America's kind of changing. That can be disorienting. A lot of people find their identity in what they've accomplished, where they've graduated from. But where are you deriving your identity? And, and, and here's the thing that I think will tell you a lot about kind of where your core identity is. When someone's cruel to you, when someone's mean to you, when you don't get the deal, when you get cut off in traffic, okay, where does your mind go? Where do you, you know, do you, when you get cut off in traffic, you say, if only they knew who I was, you know. If only they knew who they were missing. Where does your mind go in those times? That'll tell you a lot about kind of where you're finding your identity from. One of my favorite Saturday Night Live skits, it's, it's old. It's from like when I was in high school. It's called Dysfunctional Family. You may not remember this skit. It's a really, it, it, you may not even think it's that funny, but Will Ferrell on a Goss tire and, um, oh, uh, what's that? What's the guest name? Help me out here. Buffy, is it Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Is that Geller? Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah, yeah, Sarah Michelle Geller. Okay, so Sarah Michelle Geller, they're this family, they're sitting around eating, and they're a total dysfunctional family. And every time they try to have a conversation, they just blow up at one another. And Will Ferrell, you know, the daughter, the wife, they're saying these horrible things to him. And you know what he says? He says, you can't talk to me this way. I'm a regional manager, you know. And then at one point, they get into another fight. He goes, you can't talk to me this way. I drive a Dodge Stratus, you know. Is that where your identity is, though? In the job that you have, the car that you drive, in the house that you live in? Is that, is that, is, when somebody's cruel to you, can you look at yourself and say, okay, I know I'm important because I have this. 
And, and what John, I think, is doing here is reminding his readers that we're also facing great persecution, people being cruel to them all the time. And he's saying to them, no, your true identity is so much stronger than any of this. Do you know who you were created to be? I want you to just, every one of you, whether you're a Christian or not, this is true of you. You, this is who you were created to be. And you're not really going to find peace and poise until you get this. You are a creature. You have been created by God to be the people of God, to live in the presence of God, to be a part of the kingdom of God. That's who you are. You were created to be in God's presence. You were created to be God's people, the people of his possession. You were created to be in his kingdom. That's who you were made to be. And, and this is why Christmas is so important. Because without Christmas, without, without what God has done at Christmas, all of this is lost by our sin. This is our whole identity scope. Our whole place of value and purpose has been lost because of sin. You see this image at Christmas time. You've seen, you know this, have y'all seen this little picture? It's a very comforting picture to me. It's a picture of Mary and of Eve. And Eve, she's sitting there. Can you see it in her face? She's so crushed. She's so heartbroken. She's holding there the fruit of sin. Sin is entangling her ankle in the serpent. She's been so caught in sin. She's been ripped away from the presence of God. She's totally crushed and she's totally broken. This is what sin has done to us. This is where sin has left us. It has separated us from God. It has taken us away from God's presence. It has put us outside of God's kingdom. Ultimately, what sin is, is a failure to identify with God and with the things of God. And we exchange that identity for some other kingdom, for some other order, for some other identity. God had given Adam very clear instructions, but what did he do? He followed the way of the serpent. He sought after his own kingdom. He sought after his own wisdom. He, he discarded God's wisdom and it ruined him. In this great, tragic, sad moment of human history, we I mean, just think about how sad this is, is the moment when Adam and Eve, after sin, had to leave the garden, had to leave the presence of God. What a tragedy. And, and we're all living in that. We're all living in this post-garden moment where we feel lost and we feel fear and we feel anxiety. It's all around us all the time. But Adam and Eve, when they left, they left with great sadness, but they had a little hope. And the little hope they had was this. God told them that he was going to give them an offspring that would crush the head of the serpent, that would undo, that would undo this curse, that would undo what had been lost in sin. And so you know what happened? Eve had a baby named Cain. And she had this baby and she said to herself, God has given us a man. God has given us a child. God has given us the offspring. Now we can go back into the presence of God. Not now all is well. All is good. We have the offspring. The offspring has come. Only what happened? Cain followed the way of his father and not the way of God. He wanted his own kingdom he wanted his own sense of importance. He didn't trust the word of God and he murdered his brother. 
And this story is told over and over and over all throughout history. And and it leaves you wondering if you just kind of follow at least the narrative of the Old Testament and the storyline of world history, who will the offspring be? Who will the one who can actually not follow the way of Adam, who will the offspring be? And the answer is, it's this offspring. That's why this picture is so full of hope. The offspring of the virgin's womb. God himself, veiled in flesh, as we sing, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. It would be God himself who would be this offspring. Jesus, pleased as man, with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. And there's so much hope in this picture because Jesus is the one to undo the curse. Jesus is the one to crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the one who ushers us back as the people of God into the presence of God to live in the kingdom of God. But the question becomes, but how? And I think that the answer, we can get a clue here in verse six, is as he said to me, it is done. It is done just like Jesus did on the cross. It is done. It is finished. I have completed all things. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus, just like we read in Colossians, he is the beginning of all creation. Everything flows from him and he is the end. Everything flows to him. And then it says this. I love this passage. To the thirsty, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Now, there is this image that you see all throughout the Bible. You see it in Revelation, you see it in the prophets, you see it in the beginning of the Bible, this tree of life, and it's connected oftentimes to this river of life. What is this image? What is this river of life? What does it mean to drink from the river of life, to drink the water of life? And again, you see it everywhere in the scripture. You see it in Ezekiel. We see it in Psalm 46, for example. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. What is this river of life? And I think simply put, this river of life is communion with God. To to drink from the river of life is to commune with the living God, is to know God, is to be the people of God, living in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God. And when Jesus came, this is who he was. He lived in perfect union with God. He was always in communion with his Father. He he always lived according to God's order. His life was always aligned with God. He never sinned. He never stepped outside of God's design. And you know what he says in John 7 when he meets with the woman at the well? He says, he says, I have water that if you drink of it, you will never thirst again. I have living water and it will spring up from within you. What? A river, a stream of life. Jesus is this living water. He is this communing restoration. But how did Jesus bring us back into this communion? How does Jesus bring us to this water? And he did it by living a perfect, sinless life, always in communion with God, but then dying the death of people like us who have rejected God, 
Jesus took the place of sinners. Jesus was forsaken by God on our behalf. When Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is talking about a cosmic forsakenness. Jesus, in that moment, who for all of eternity had enjoyed perfect communion with the God, was, as it were, put out of the garden, put away from the presence of God, He took on the identity of sinners like us, and not just one sinner, but all sinners. He took on the identity of sinners like us and was crushed, was forsaken in our place so that we could be brought in. Jesus experienced a cosmic forsaking so that we would not be forsaken, so that we could be brought in, so that we could could live in communion with God so that we could drink from the river of God. And I love it what it says here. You can drink from this river. I love this. Listen, listen. You can drink from this river in Christ freely. You can drink without price. It's as if, if it's if this text is saying, drink as much as you need. Drink as much as you want. In Christ, you are sons and daughters of God. It is done. Jesus has achieved it. Our sin has been paid for. Come back to the garden. Come back into the presence of God. Come back into the kingdom of God and drink from the river. You know how I said, your identity is whatever you Think about when you get disappointed, you know, whatever comes to your mind, when somebody cuts you off, when somebody hurts you, your identity is what you think about when you, when you experience hurt, what, what kind of restores you. You could say it this way. Your identity is whatever you drink from when you get thirsty. And what this is saying is what Jesus, the invitation that Jesus is giving you is you want to be satisfied. You want to really have an identity that lasts. You want to really be filled? Drink from this river. You were designed to drink from this river. You were designed to be the people of God in the presence of God as a part of the kingdom of God. Let that be your river. Let that be your comfort. Find your identity there. So that's, that's the reminder of who we are. But second thing this passage does for us is it reminds us about our hope. You know, when I was a kid... I thought that heaven was kind of a bunch of people dressed in white in clouds and that it was like this eternal kind of choir practice, right? I thought that was my ultimate hope, right? And the reason I thought that way is because like at the end of the Easter musical at church, that's what everybody was doing. So I was like, I guess that's what, you know, heaven's going to be. I guess that's what I have to look forward to. Now, here's the deal. I knew I didn't want to go to hell, right? But if I have to be honest... I really didn't want to go to heaven either. (laughs) I kind of was just like, I might as well stay on earth. You know, at least here I can play football and baseball and hang out with my buddies. I don't really like choir practice that much. Better than hell, but not great. And I think a lot of people have that perception of heaven. And and I I don't know why. I think we've done too many Easter musicals because that's not how the Bible talks about the new heaven and new earth, the ultimate hope that we have. Look at what it says, a a holy city. A city. Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. 
to earth, to, to, to be real, to prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The loud voice saying, look, God is going to dwell among us. There's, there's going to be dwelling. There's going to be life. He's going to dwell with him. We will be his people. This isn't some pie in the sky by and by. This is life. This is real life. What is your hope? Your hope is life. Your hope is to be the people of God in the presence of God, living in the real kingdom of God. There's going to be life in the new heavens and new earth. There's going to be life in the new Jerusalem. There's going to, you're going to have responsibility in the new Jerusalem. We're going to have community. We're going to know one another in this new Jerusalem. There will be life. There will be life as it should have always been, just without sin. But here's the deal. It's actually going to be life that's better than it ever could have been. There's a phrase here, and this is kind of where we get this whole series from. Look at verse four. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, and I love this, behold, I am making all things new. Again, we're going to be kind of talking about this idea and really this word new here throughout the whole month of December. In the Greek, there's two words for new. There's chronos, which means like new is in terms of, it just, it, it just is here. It just came. It's new. It's brand new. It hasn't been around for long. Uh, new in terms of time orientation. But there's another word in the Greek called kainos, and this is new in terms of quality. It's you could almost say it is like it's been renewed. It's better. It's, 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 it's more. It's more full. It's more alive than it ever was before. Notice that it doesn't say, the voice from the throne doesn't say, I am making new things. <laughs> I'm going to make new things. I'm going to get rid of all this. I'm going to make new things. No. What does it say? I'm going to make all things, all things that exist, new. I'm going to renew everything. I'm going to make everything whole. I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to make all things new. Kainos. That's the hope of the new Jerusalem. But here's the deal. I want you to hear this. The reason that the author here, that, that we, we, we see the text, and we see the voice of the Lord, mentioning things like anxiety and fear and pain and mourning and loss the reason in this new, this new Kainos passage, all these things are mentioned. Here's why. is because even those pains are going to be renewed. Even, even they are going to be a part of this Kainos project. This reminds me of a passage in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says that death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed by victory. You know what happens when you swallow something? You know, I put on these pants this morning and it reminded me that I think I've been swallowing too much stuff lately. <laughs> no, when you, when you swallow something, you get bigger. You get a little bigger. This is, this is what this Kainos project looks like. As you find your identity with Christ, as you find your place as the people of God, living in the presence of God as a part of the kingdom of God, even the tough things that you're going through, even the losses, even the heartaches, 
It's all getting swallowed up. It's all getting renewed. It's all getting kinost. And the reason we know this is because you know what the beginning of this Kainos project is? The reason we know this is sure for us. You know what the beginning of the Kainos project is? It's the resurrection itself. Jesus, who endured the worst thing, all of that, even his death, now is a part of his Kainos victory, his renewed victory, his resurrected victory. And such will be the same for you in Christ. The resurrection is the first fruit, but you are the second and third and fourth and fifth and millionth and billionth fruit that is to come after this resurrection. Matt Papa has this great song called Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. It's a great song to sing when you're discouraged. It's just about the, the sureness of Christ and who he is. And, and one of the lines in the song, just, just hear this line, it's so good, it's kind of toward the end. He says, we will cross that great horizon, clouds behind and life secure. And the calm will be the better for the storms that we endure. And if this is our hope, this sure victory in Christ, this renewal of all things, if this is our identity, then drink from this. Drink from this. This will give you so much hope. If you have a hope like this, if you have an identity like this, you can endure anything. I was having dinner with some friends this week and I said, you know what my job is? My job as a Christian pastor is to help people realize that their identity in Christ transcends their experience. I want you to get that. Your identity in Christ transcends your experience. You know, right now, there's a Christian in Gadsden, Alabama. There's a Christian in Berlin, Germany. There's a Christian in Islamabad, Pakistan. All of those Christians having very different experiences. But their identity is the same. Their identity as the people of God, living in the presence of God, for the kingdom of God, all of that is the exact same. And if you really understand who you are in Christ, you can be like Paul. You can know how to abound, and I hope you abound. Ah, oh, man, may 2021 be a year of abounding. But you can also have nothing, and you can rejoice, and you can find peace. And you can find hope. You can endure anything. So this, this passage tells us a lot about our identity. It tells us a lot about our hope. And then lastly, and briefly, it, it tells us what to do. Thank goodness it just kind of tells, it helps us to figure out what to do. Look at verse seven. It says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. She will be my daughter. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, Revelation 
is full of all these dramatic pictures and these big, like, contrasting pictures. I mean, this is a good example, okay? On one side, you have son of God. On the other side, you have the person whose place is in the lake of fire and sulfur. Revelation 19 has a similar picture. Uh, On one side, you have armies of God arrayed in white linen. On the other side, you have enemies of God whose flesh is being eaten by the birds. I mean, it is full. Just read the book. It is full of these dramatic, like, contrasting pictures. And so I hope when you read this passage, you see this enormous hope that we have as the people of God restored and the hope of the new creation. I hope when you read this and you see these things, and then you see in verse seven, the one who conquers will have this inheritance, will have this heritage, and I will be his God and he will be my son. I hope your next question is, how do I conquer? (laughs) I hope your next question is, what does it mean to conquer? It's really the question of, How do you keep the faith? How do you keep finding your identity as the people of God, in the presence of God, in the kingdom of God? How do you keep from rejecting God, hiding from God's presence, trying to go after a different kingdom? How do you stay in the faith? How do you stay in this kingdom? And I I really think that the answer is discipleship. (laughs) Here's the deal. You are always being discipled. You may not be being discipled by me or by a church friend, but you're always being discipled. Everyone around you is saying, so what is a disciple? It's a follower, right? So discipleship is this idea, follow God, stay with God, stay with Jesus, right? But everyone's saying that to you. Everyone's saying, follow me, follow me. I will will give you identity. I will lead you to the promised land. I will take you to the place of everybody. That, That message is all around us. Blake showed that commercial last week from McDonald's. McDonald's is saying that. If you eat this hamburger, you'll be special. Follow us. Come to the golden arches, you know. Everyone's saying that. You you leave here and you are being discipled. Find your worth in me. Find your identity in this story. Everybody wants you to believe some narrative. Everybody wants you to, to find your place somewhere. You are being discipled. Everyone is saying, follow me. And, and look at the back half of this passage. We have it on the screen there. If your identity is in the narrative of you being successful, have a good reputation in your workplace, good reputation around town, you know what you will be? You'll be, you'll be cowardly when it comes to the things of God. Because you have to protect your reputation. You can't let like your Christian dogmatism mess that up. If you're like a young person here and you're and your identity isn't like having the young, like buckhead experience, you know. Man, I want to do the you know cool thing. I'm only young once, you know, it's no big deal, it's fine. If that's where you're at, you'll be sexually immoral. You'll you'll make that change because that's actually where identity is there. If your identity is in power, you'll be a liar because lies serve power. (laughs) Don't you see? This is a question of identity and discipleship. 
You're always being discipled. Something's always grabbing for your attention. And one of the reasons that we're always pushing these rhythms of grace here, you know, let's go to the little image here. One of the reasons we're always pushing these little rhythms of grace is is because these are the kinds of things that we hope will get your attention and remind you of your identity in Christ. So so we want you to be in corporate worship, right? Because this is kind of one of those moments where you sit under the teaching of God's word, where you sing these songs, realize, oh yeah, (laughs) I'm a daughter of God. That's where my worth is. That's what I can drink from. This is why we want you discipling your children in family worship, because we want you as a family reminding yourselves, oh yeah, we're children of the king. This is our true kingdom. This is our home. This is why we want you reading the Bible. These are the kinds of things that confront you with who you are and who God's called you to be. It's why we want you in community. It's why we want you to be generous. It's why we want you to serve people without complaining, without asking anything in return. It's why we want you to go and serve the poor in our city. It's why we want you to go on mission trips. Because these are the kinds of things that bring you back into God's reality where you can see him rightly and see yourself rightly. It's a question of discipleship. Who will conquer And so I want to let us meditate on that as we think about what Christ has accomplished for us, as we think about what it means to stay in him and to continue to look to him. One of the things that God has given us to help us worship, to help us meditate on these things is the Lord's Supper. And we're going to close today as our deacons come forward with this, with this discipline, with with this rhythm of grace. Because it's, it's in these elements. When, when you consider the bread that represents the body of Christ that's, that's broken, that brokenness presses a question. And it presses the question of why. Why is this broken? And the, and the body of Christ is, is broken for us because of our sin. He took on our sin. He was broken on behalf of our sin. When you you take the cup that, that represents the covenant that he is making with us, a covenant by his own blood, it again presses a question. Well, what's going on here? What is Jesus doing? And, 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 and what this cup is, is it's a promise to believers. It's a promise of faith. It's a promise from Christ himself. It says, look, I'm for you. I will be with you. If you as you look to me, as you trust in me, as you give your life to me, there's life, there's hope, and I won't break this promise. I will be there. Just as sure as Jesus rose from the dead one day with him in his kingdom, you will rise. And so I, I invite you, if you're a believer here today, as the deacons begin passing these elements out, to, to take these elements to hold on to these elements and to consider these things. Now, if you're, if you're here today and, and you're not a believer, if you're a visitor, I'm so glad you're here. If you haven't identified with Christ and you're just kind of checking out what a church is, man, I'm so glad you're here. I think this is a great church to check out, but this is not a meal for you. I'd ask you just as it comes by, just, just let the deacon know, just kind of maybe even put your hand over your heart or something. Just say, I'm not gonna take this, these elements today. It's not, it's, not, it's not for someone who's not trusting in Christ. But if you are trusting in Christ, I invite you just as, as Jordan leads us in this, in this new song, as you, as you hold these elements in your hand, um, to consider your repentance, to consider faith, to consider this life that God has given you as his people.
called to be in his presence and a part of his kingdom. Hold on to these elements and then we'll take them corporately here in just a few moments.